Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald face truth. Well, the Pac 12 can hold its head high today, can it? I mean, look at the top 25. You got four teams in the Pac 12 conference that are in the top 15. You've got a couple of other teams, Oregon State and Washington State, who might be the best unranked teams in America. But what's wrong with this picture? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Pac-12 officiating. I've been writing about it over the weekend at johnconzano.com. We've been talking about it with friends. My phone started blowing up on Saturday. Oregon State fans and casual onlookers were going, hey, man, USC's getting away with a lot of holding in this game. But that kind of stuff happens in college football games. kind of works both ways. I think, you know, we can't expect the officials to be perfect, can we? But in the case of Oregon-Washington State... They not only weren't perfect, they weren't very good. One of the cardinal sins in football officiating is count to four. First down, second down, third down, fourth down. You get four downs to go ten yards. My wife was explaining this to our eight-year-old while watching a college football game over the weekend. Literally warmed my heart. You have four downs to go ten yards. Not three downs. You get four. Pac-12 made a mistake. Washington State only got three downs on one occasion. Then the Pac-12 unwound it, tried to get the play right. And in the end, I don't think they quite got it right. And I actually don't think this is what cost Washington State the game. But it's distracting from the stuff we should be talking about. And that's a big problem for the Pac-12. A lot of people think that Pac-12 conference officiating is better this season. Better this season than any in uh, recent memory. But I don't think so. Why? Because we're still talking about it. I'm writing about it. Fans were bellyaching about it. And some of this is, I think, prone to, uh, you know, this just happens. Like, all, fans of all conferences don't think that the officiating is very good. But I think the Pac-12 is paying a tax for bad officiating in 2017, 2018, 2019, Fans haven't forgotten it. The brand is broken. The brand of the officiating in the Pac-12 is broken. And the conference hasn't done enough enough to rectify that. I also think it's interesting that the Pac-12 doesn't yet have some kind of pipeline. There's no ability for the Pac-12 when it loses officials to go down and say, we're, we're going to reach into the minor leagues and bring somebody up. There just isn't any kind of consortium that is going on between the Pac-12 and other conferences. They have it in basketball. They have a consortium with the Mountain West Conference, but not in football. The Big 12 has the Mountain West Conference for football and the Southland Conference. The Big 12 does a really good job of bringing their officials along and sort of escalating them from one level to the next. Uh, And I wrote about this today, but I'm going to just very quickly kind of recap why it's important to have a pipeline when it comes to your officiating. Big 12 Conference in the summer of 2020 lost four referees, the White Hats, the, the basically the supervisor of a crew. 
Three of them retired, and the fourth left for the Big Ten. So they were in a real pinch in the summer of 2020. Greg Burks is the Big 12 Conference Supervisor of Officials. I spoke with him a couple of years ago because I was curious, what do you do when you're the Big 12 and you're trying to find uh, officials and you lose four officials in 42 years of combined experience? What, like, what do you do? Burks told me that the Big 12 Conference simply hired three of the highest-graded officials from the Mountain West. They asked the Mountain West, they said, who are your best officials? And they said, this guy, this guy, this guy. They said, we'll take them all. And then the fourth person, a gentleman named Kevin Marr, happened to be working in the Pac-12, was one of the best, if not the best, referee in the Pac-12 conference. The Big 12 gave Kevin Marr a better deal. They hired him away. And they had familiarity with him because he had joined the Pac-12 from the Mountain West, so they knew his work. So you had uh, a minor league system, so to speak, that worked well. And I know a lot of fans in the Pac-12 footprint, some of them are upset this weekend. Others are going, hey, this is just how officiating is. Don't worry, you'll get your opportunity in due time. I do think that officiating in general is in danger. I think at the youth level, the high school level, at the college level, for sure, you have a shortage of officials certainly at the youth level, I think for a number of reasons that we're going to get into on today's show. I think you also have people looking at officiating and going, uh, I don't want to do that anymore. You have people during the pandemic who said, uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to be at games. Or maybe they got away from it and they found a new side hustle and they said, I don't need to officiate anymore. And so I think what you have is you now have a crisis nationally when it comes to youth sports, when it comes to high school sports, and I think you got a problem if you're the Pac-12 Conference because where are you going to find your good officials for 5, 10, 15 years from now if you don't have the ability to recruit from the lower levels? You don't have the ability to take good high school officials and graduate them into community college and the Big Sky Conference and then graduate them into uh, you know, the Mountain West Conference or maybe the Pac-12, and then you don't have good officials in the end. So I think you have a real problem. 503-417-7575 is a number. First question I'm throwing out to you today is give me your theory on why it is that the high school officiating world is really struggling right now to attract officials. Is it youth sports and the harassment by adults, coaches, and players of officials? Is it the pandemic? Is it that during the pandemic or maybe in the last two years, You've had people find other ways to make money, new side hustles. And let's face it, officiating is a side hustle. Most of the referees that are in the NFL, in major college football, certainly at the high school level, they work other jobs. They're realtors. They are lawyers. They are, uh, in some cases, bankers. They are, uh, you know, they do a variety of jobs, teachers, educators. They do a variety of different things in this refereeing or officiating thing is generally a side hustle. So is it that they found other things to do? You tell me what your biggest theory is, or is it an amalgam of all those things? 503-417-7575. Got a great show for you today. We'll be visiting with Jack Foliard. He is a Oregon Sports Hall of Fame member, but he is also a former Pac-10 official and a guy who officiated in major college football at a sky-high level. He uh, was the official uh, during the 2007 BCS title game. 
He was there when Ohio State and Florida were playing for all the marbles. Uh, Jack Fuller will be joining us. He's now in charge of one of the uh, officiating associations here in the state of Oregon. So I want to ask him what his theory is on all this stuff. Stephen and Sean, you're back in studio. We're going to get to all the Pac-12 games. We'll talk about the Blazers. We'll talk about the NFL and what the NFL is doing right. But let's start with officiating. Do you have a theory on why it is they are struggling to attract officials at the high school level? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a combination of all of what you said. Uh, it's also a very thankless job, and we've talked about this before. Like, if you do a good job, no one's really going to recognize it. It's only when you do a bad job. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a different type of person that doesn't really, you know, doesn't really get down by the critiques of the fans. And I do think that fans are more, um, you know, for lack of a better term, they're just more mean to the referees nowadays, I feel like, than they were uh, years ago. And that's people like my age who have kids. Like, they are really going after refs. It seems like you see all these videos. So uh, I just think it's a little bit of a combination of everything. And, you know, like for me, I've refed before, like when I played college basketball, I had to do like some summer camps and we'd have to ref uh, summer league games. And like it, it's not fun because even me in those meaningless summer games and summer league games, like I'm getting yelled at by players, by coaches, by fans. And they're just like little high school kids. And I'm this college kid. Like, I don't want to be yelled at by this. I'm not trying to be a ref and I'm getting yelled at. So I think it's a little combination of everything like that. I think it's a thankless job on all levels, really. Um, you know, it's it's the coaches that you have to deal with, and then if it's not the coaches, it's the fans, and if it's not the fans, it's the players, you know? So if you're doing a great job officiating, no one's going to let you know. You know, it, it's pretty rare. Maybe the coaches will let you know, but uh, the point is it's a, it's a thankless job, and uh, it's, you know, it's it, if you do something bad, you're definitely going to hear about it. And I also think, you know, at the high school level, I don't know what it pays, but it's just uh, – it's. It's not. It's not the most appealing job. You know. It's. Uh, it's definitely high. High margin for error. I, I think yeah, we're we're hunting and pecking all around it. But I want some input from our listeners at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. What do you think this is rooted in? Um, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of officials, and I started today by talking about the Pac twelve, and I do think there's a there's a correlation between what we're seeing in youth sports and high school sports, and then the struggles of the Pac twelve conference now. You know, John Wilner and I, uh, who do a podcast, Gonzano and Wilner, we do this podcast. We we had a disagreement today over whether or not the officiating of the Pac-12 is any better or any worse than it's been in recent years. Now, I will maintain that as long as we are talking about officiating, it's a problem. Like, you know, if you have a leaky roof, you, uh, you know, I don't care if you have a drip, 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 or you have a gush, 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 you still have a leaky roof. And so if we're talking about the roof leaking, you have a problem with the leaking roof. And that's my point with officiating. Like, I think the Pac-12's got a problem. And so I asked the Pac-12 today, I said, you know, do you have a, you know, a system? Is there a pipeline? Like, where are you getting your officials from? Because what I gathered, because I went around and I kind of looked at who had officiated the games over the weekend, where, where they were, where did they work in the last couple of years, all this other stuff. And what I gathered was they are kind of piecemealing together these crews. Like, they're not together in a way that tells me these guys have worked together uh, they're not in a, uh, you know, together in a way that tells me there there's any kind of synergy. Like I think where you get really good officials is you get officials who are very familiar with each other. They can look at each other from 15 or 20 yards away, and they don't have to say anything because they know they trust each other and they know. But I think what we're seeing on college football Saturdays in the Pac-12 is I think we're seeing some really good officials in a lot of cases, great officials who just haven't worked enough together and don't have that synergy and that continuity. I think that's one problem. And I think the problem in that Washington State-Oregon game 
may have been that at least one of the officials on the field there has done some work in the NFL where an intentional grounding penalty does cost you and is accounted different than in college football. So I think part of the reason why, or maybe it got skipped, I'd have to talk to the officials and they won't let you talk to them. I think the reason they forgot second down is they may have just forgotten to count, but they may have also thought we're in the NFL here. And so I wonder if that's a problem. But I think the trickle down is concerning to me. So if you're a Pac-12 and you, you don't have a pipeline, you don't have anywhere to turn when you lose officials or officials retire. So you're starting over and you're just piecemealing together these crews. So you don't have any kind of system in place. We all know these that systems can be good. You have a system if you're in a restaurant, in the kitchen. You have a system if you are uh, you know, a coach and you're running practices. We have a system on this radio show. There's just a system of here's what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. And I, I don't think they have that in the Pac-12, and I think it hurts them. But then I, I start to wonder about the lower levels of officiating, high school sports, youth sports. Have parents gone to the point, and coaches and players, gone to the point where they are abusing the officials so nobody wants to officiate? Uh, uh, do we need to pay them more? Do we need to train them better? Because if we're not getting good officials at the youth level and the high school level and the small college level, I, I, I cringe at what we're going to see in major college athletics when – when uh, this eventually, this wave catches up to the Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10, SEC. 503-417-7575 is a number. Let's take one. Jesse's in Klamath Falls. Go ahead, Jesse. Hey, I'm just going to mirror kind of what you were asking about right there. I've got young kids, and we've done soccer, volleyball, basketball, all the sports, um, all the way up into high school now. They're going into high school. And I am constantly shocked and appalled by the attitudes and words from parents from the sidelines. I had a referee walk off the pitch uh, at a soccer game not long ago, just walk off, and that's the game uh, because of the way he was being treated, and I can't blame them at all. Um, On this network, listening here in Klamath, every single commercial break there is a commercial that plays, and it's high school students acting out this scenario, begging parents to hold it together so that they can continue having their high school sporting events and so on and so forth. So if you're not creating an environment for the referees at the youth age, like we've got these junior high kids that are out uh, refereeing soccer matches when they're like 13, 14 years old, if you're not showing them that we can do well now, why would they ever be interested in going on and making a career of it or really, like, pushing it? And we don't even have a farm system for it, right, like you said. So that's my two cents there. It's a great point. It's a great conversation starter. I want more input. 503-417-7575. What's the problem here when it comes to officiating? Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm blowing the whistle on officiating. Pac-12 Conference, I think it needs to get better. I think there's some easy fixes. I presented them today at johnconzano.com. I think there's three easy fixes for the Pac-12. I'll get into those in a minute. Uh, I also want your phone calls on what you think is happening. Why are there fewer football officials? Why do they have a shortage in basketball when it comes to high school sports in the state of Washington, in the state of Oregon? In fact, nationwide, we have a problem. So it's not a regional thing. This is a real thing. You tell me. 
503-417-7575 is the number. Let's go out to the phone lines. Sean is in Vancouver. Sean, what's your theory? Hey, John. So a number of years ago, I was actually a uh, high school ref in football. I did middle school and high school. And, you know, um, there's a couple of things. <laughs> Being underappreciated is, is not even a strong enough term. Uh, you know, you, you're literally yelled at, spit at, cursed at, uh, no matter what you do, even when you get it right. Uh, of course, the other side doesn't like it. Uh, it is a side hustle, but it's not a very good paying side hustle. You're not going to get paid very well to put up with the abuse that you're being put through. And then on the negative side of this was, and I was flat told this while I was there, even if you're good at what you're doing, like I was, I was the, the umpire, right, so right behind the defensive line, that even if you're good at it, if you don't know the right people, you're not going to the next level. You're not going to get called to come up. You know, you've got to know the right guy at the right place in the right position, and he's got to, it's a good old boy system. You've got to know the right people. And, you know, Texas football is a little more intense than it is here, but, you know, it, who you know to escalate to go up to that next level, and you were treated badly, badly, badly for very little pay. That's too bad. And, you know, both those things are controllable, are they not? Like, we talk about things we can control, things we can't. We go back to stoic philosophy. Look, you, we can control, I think, to some extent, how officials are treated. We should. We should act better. We should, uh, we should police each other a little bit on that. you got a parent uh, at your youth sports game that you know who's out of line. Pull them aside and be like, look, man, like nobody here is making $50 million a year. Uh, probably none of these kids are even going to get scholarships. We're here because uh, this is supposed to be a healthy activity where your kids learn conflict resolution and team building and they, uh, you know, around other healthy kids. And we know that sports uh, help kids get better grades and keep kids who participate in sports get in trouble less and teenage pregnancies are lower among athletes and who are high school athletes. So, like, let's try to keep in mind what this is about and not make this life or death. Like, that's a controllable we shouldn't be abusing the referees. The second thing that's controllable is the pay. Like, if these officiating associations don't have the money, what we need to do is figure out, like, is there a nonprofit angle here? Like, should somebody take the role of, hey, let's start a nonprofit that helps pay officials in our state? And can we then support those officiating associations? Should an organization or an entity like the Pac-12 get involved? Should they be sprinkling money in the Pac-12 footprint over high school uh, referee associations. Should they be doing that? Because, hey, that's those are the future Pac-12 referees and officials. You tell me. Let's go to Eugene. Dave is in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, uh, I used to uh, referee basketball in the local area, and uh, the parents are awful. Uh, you know, all my kids graduated from high school. I thought I would get into, you know, good exercise. I I, I I thought I was doing a good job. I hustled, and it didn't matter. I, you know, it's not about – because every time you blow the whistle, somebody's not going to like what you're doing. You, you get that blocked out. But the, the parents, they just – nobody likes authority anymore. And when you're refereeing a game, you have to have authority of the game. And parents were just – they were god-awful. They, they were very hard to deal with. And then if you have a bad coach to boot, your kid, the kids were just – is awful because there was no repercussions for their attitudes and the way they treated the officials. And 
And the guy, the last caller was spot on. If you are not part of the good old boy club, you're not moving up. I don't care where you're at, what county you're at. If you're not part of the good old boy club, you might as well just forget it. Because I was doing freshman and JV ball, and I thought I was, you know, did I ever get evaluated? Not one time. Not one time. Wow. So, yeah. again, that, you know, I would have loved to grow up. I, my kids were growing up. I'm, you know, I'm an empty nester. I'm ready to, I can go do anything. I knew the game, but I wasn't going to move up, so I just stopped officiating. Yeah, I appreciate your uh, you being candid. Uh, if Let me just pepper you with a couple things, Dave. Uh, if the money was a little better and the parents were better behaved, would that be enough for you to be back there, or is there a, a larger systemic issue? It's a larger systemic issue, really. It, 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 it I, I call it a society issue. <laughs> if mm. nobody respects authority, that, that's the way I look at it. I mean, go to a game, enjoy the game. You know, enjoy watching your child play. They're not going to the next level. You know, they may go to the next, but they're not going to be a professional athlete. Enjoy watching your, your, your daughter or your son play ball. And they lose focus of that. They get so wound up over the wins and losses and their son or daughter performing at the highest level and that they lose focus and they're going to blame the official. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. And look, I am, you know, it's interesting. I was watching a third grade volleyball game over the weekend. Okay. Third graders playing volleyball. Uh, Pretty low bar. Okay. The the volleyball game in third grade, our eight-year-old's playing. The volleyball game in third grade is all about uh, just serve the ball over the net. Whoever serves the ball over the net wins the game. Um, while I'm watching, I got to be honest with you. As a guy who knows sports, I'm critiquing. I'm looking at you know the position of the players. Is you know is my kid? Does she need to take a step forward on the court? She's a little too deep. What's she doing? Like I'm watching that stuff, but I'm quietly doing it between my ears. I'm not being vocal about it. But in the end, I'm you know I'm I'm accepting that. They're going to be bad calls. You got a high school kid who's officiating. You got a parent who's volunteering as the lines person. Like, we're going to get some screwy calls, or maybe somebody doesn't know the rule, or they let a foot fault slide, or whatever. But they're in third grade, for crying out loud. But I've been to some of these matches over the years with an older daughter who played, where parents lose their minds. They absolutely lose their minds. And I've seen it at Little League games. I've seen it at softball games. I've seen it in uh, track and field where they're yelling at the official who's down on the track because they don't understand the rules. But it's, I think we all need to have more grace with each other. And I think the caller's right because I think, you know, we got a shortage right now of officials. But guess what else we have a shortage of? They're having a hard time finding people to teach school. And I think some of the same problems exist with recruiting school teachers as it as it does recruiting officials i think some of the teachers are tired of dealing with parents the money's not good enough they're going into other professions i think we have like there's some correlation here like but the things you can control and i can control like when you go to a game i think dave and eugene hit it hit it hit the nail on the head there go to a game go to a game like you know for the right reason don't go to the game thinking, hey, you know what, I, I'm getting into this CYO volleyball game or getting into this Little League game or this, this uh, you know, JV football game and I'm going to scream at the official. They aren't perfect out there, damn it. Like sometimes a bad call is great for your kids. I'm just saying, like 
it, it does, don't we get bad calls in life? Don't we have things in life like adversity presents itself? Bad things happen. I always say it all the time. Bad things happen. What are you going to do about it? You're going to cry about it? Or are you going to do something about it? Like in life, adversity happens. Bad things happen. We have to overcome. You have to improvise. You have to find a way. That's part of life. Your shoes come untied. You trip. You run out of gas. You get a bad boss. Then they replace the bad boss with another bad boss. Then what happens? What are you going to do about it? Like, you know, you get a bad call in a youth game. Guess what? That's a great moment that can prepare you for life. But a lot of parents, they miss that. Like a little bit of adversity is good. It's healthy. You're going to find adversity at every corner in your life. Let's go to the phone lines. Johnny's in Tennessee. Johnny, welcome from Tennessee. Hey, John. Got a perspective from a board member of a youth soccer club and a nephew in Portland who is a high school official for baseball and football. And it, it comes down to the parents. And it is a it's a sideline behavior that starts with the parents and bleeds into the coaches, which then bleeds onto the field with the players. And in my opinion, pay, pay will only go so far. We've doubled officials' soccer pay out here in Tennessee, and we still can't get refs. They're making 100 bucks a game, and they can't, we can't get enough refs. Wow. And I think what has to happen is parents need to be removed from the game who cannot behave. Because once one parent starts on one side, the parents on the other side think they've got to keep it up and keep it even, and then they jump in. And you talked about, you know, policing ourselves, and, and you can try that. Every parent is trying to relive their youth to their kids, and they think every one of their kids is going to get a college scholarship in whatever sport they're playing, and it's just not true. But the amount of money they pay to play AAU basketball or club soccer or travel baseball, they feel entitled that they can abuse officials. And until the parents can behave, can behave themselves and control their behavior, this is going to be an ongoing issue that, that, that all the other things about the pay, about the travel, the, the, the other side gigs they can do, it, it to me all comes from and stems from the behavior on the sidelines that they have to deal with. And it's just there's really no amount of money you can pay them to put up with it. I and, appreciate And the young that. one, yeah, yeah I, I have young kids who, who have tried officiating because I thought it was a great way for them as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old to make 100 bucks in cash. And, and two games, they're done. They're like, I, you can't pay me. So even at the youngest ages, the, the kids don't want to officiate. And, and, and the parents have got to behave themselves. And that's where it all begins and ends. Well put. I appreciate that. I think that is a big piece of this, guys. And I think for people who are listening to that, I mean, we're hearing from people who have officiated games. They want to be out there. They want to be officiating the games that your kids are playing. They want to uh, be part of that experience. They're not out there trying to hose your team. They're not out there trying to get the call wrong. They're out there doing the best they can for a few bucks as a side hustle and maybe because they love being around the games. But I feel like uh, we are driving them away. And I'll say we because I've got kids that are in youth sports. I see it. Dennis is in Canby. Dennis, you get the final word here. Go ahead. Hi, John. i got a lot to offer in this category. So, first of all, the reason for football officials, they do need to pay them double whatever they're paying now, but they don't have the summer 
big tournaments and all that stuff to practice, like the uh, basketball officials and stuff. So basically, you got seven on seven football. Not the same that they don't. The officials aren't, aren't gaining as much doing that stuff during the May, June, July. So they don't have much practice other than all of a sudden it's fall and now we're officiating football. That's that's my take on football. Um, basketball, since they went to three officials, they have a an advantage of sending so many officials to do. A, they got freshman, JV, or JV2, and varsity, three three at one venue, so they can use those three officials to do more than one game. Therefore, they're getting paid more for their, their four-hour block or their five-hour block. Um, the best officials I've ever been a part of in basketball when I was coaching girls basketball was in Amarillo, Texas. We won an AAU national championship with a group of girls from the Portland metro area, and we had the good college officials there that just were we, we came back to the Salem Official Association, and we had to tell our girls, you're only getting three fouls a game. There's going to be one questionable one, and there's going to be one that they flat-out miss. So you got to manage three fouls is what I would tell them. And so you got to get used to that. And basketball, I used to be a very good basketball player. I was a very good basketball coach. As an official, I was below average. I did some alumni tournaments. I did some youth basketball, and I'm like, yeah, you look at the crowd and like, you want this whistle? I'll give you ten bucks that I'm getting paid because it was very difficult. They don't, they have no idea that at ground level, running up and down that court versus sitting up above in the bleachers, yeah. uh, that's a big difference. Yeah, and it, so you and, also have Dennis. You also have like when you get to the younger levels, I think it's harder to officiate kids when the game's a little sloppier. I, yeah. Also, can I can I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. So, so I was I my I had a really good PE coach and and mentor that that he actually graded the officials. He was a Pac eight back in the day volleyball official, and unfortunately he shortened our basketball season at the grade school level, sixth, seventh, and eighth. But I I picked his brain, and later he he was evaluating officials for for three A basketball at the time, and now five A six A or whatever. And so I watched some games with him, and and just picked his brain and talked to him about different things, and he had a lot of insight on understanding the difference between a rule and a violation. And that helped me become a better coach and, and to kind of explain to people at times that, you know, the, the game, the rule is not called traveling. That's a violation. If they allow traveling both sides, it, let the kids play. Don't You don't have to blow right. your whistle all the time. So there's stuff like that that, yeah. that I learned from him. And, and, and uh, Oregon is a really good basketball state, girls and yeah. boys. But, you know, they're having, uh, so, they're, they're having trouble right now. State of Oregon is having trouble attracting officials. If you want to be an official, here's how you do it. If you want to, you want to, you don't, you don't have to have any training or any background. Go to newofficials.org. That is the OSAA's path into officiating. Right now, they're looking for basketball officials. Newofficials.org. Punch it audio is coming up. Leave it here. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Really disappointed for Oregon State. Thought they outplayed USC mostly on Saturday night. Chance Nolan's got to be better. Also late in that game, the defense, uh, whoever that defensive back was that let uh, Jordan Addison run by him into the flat and then turn it up on that wheel route, get your hands on him. Like, all you have to do is get your hands on him. Help the safety out. Uh, But disappointing 
finish for Oregon State. Really encouraging game for Oregon State. Surprised that the Beavers are still unranked. If USC really is that good, top six team, then uh, Oregon State losing that close? Come on. That's their only loss? Give me a break. No respect. Washington State, same way. Like, look, i got to give Oregon a lot of credit. Oregon had a fantastic fourth quarter. Give the Ducks credit for turning it on in the fourth quarter and finishing. That's that's what Oregon State did not do. The Ducks finished against Washington State, but same thing. I'm looking at Washington State going, hey, that's their only loss to a top 15 team. they got to win over Wisconsin on the road and uh, still no love in the Pac-12 conference. We'll talk about all that coming up. First, though, we're going to play some punch and audio. We have the best sound from all around. Here we go. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Jake Tickert, Washington State coach. Blew a lead, had a 12-point lead late in the game, lost to Oregon, punch it. I know I'm sure you don't want to play the silver lining or moral victories game, but, I mean, in terms of There's no moral victory, okay? We accept this loss. They beat us. You know, this is two good football teams going at it. I think we proved that we're a good football team, okay? And if we won this game, like, it wasn't going to be an upset. We're a good football team, you know, and I'm excited about the men in that room and, you know, they're disappointed, right, because we didn't make the plays to win the game. Um, you know, but but that was it. It was two good football teams playing, and, and uh, they execute better at the end to win the game. I'll buy that. I think the Pac-12 has about six or seven teams on a given day that can beat anybody in the conference, and I think Washington State's one of them. Oregon-Washington State was a quality game. Uh, I didn't like the officiating in the game, but I don't think that's what cost Washington State ultimately. Oregon scored 29 points in the fourth quarter. Oregon came up with two turnovers in the fourth quarter. That's how Washington State lost the game. And I get I got to give Jake Dickert some credit because I think it'd be really easy to take a moral victory. I think it'd be really easy to sit back and go, you know what, this is why, or the officiating. It's not saying any of that. Washington State lives to play another day. I think it's going to be really difficult for both Washington State and Oregon State to regroup this week, but they're going to have to. That's college football. Meanwhile, in Corvallis, USC came from behind, did not lead until late in this game. To beat Oregon State, four USC players ran to midfield after the game, performed snow angels, pretending to body surf on the Beaver logo. Lincoln Riley in the postgame news conference. Punch it. Give uh, Oregon State a lot of credit. Really good football team. Uh, it was a tremendous atmosphere. I, I got to be honest, I, I don't know if I've, I definitely have never been in an atmosphere like that where, you know, it was half a stadium. Um, so you got to give their fans. Uh, their team, a lot of credit. They're, they're a really good football team. It was a tough place to play tonight. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm probably more proud of this win than, than, than the previous three. To, to, they're all important. But um, we had to find different ways to win tonight. It ended up being kind of a slugfest, really a defensive battle uh, back and forth. Uh, of course, our, our defense, uh, the four turnovers, the huge stops, I mean, closing the game. I, I just – you can't say enough about how we played defensively. I mean, Lincoln Riley talking about the defense. I thought Chance Nolan had a bad game. And, you know, he was throwing off his back foot. I think he was a little gun-shy about getting contact. 
And I think it cost him. He floated the ball a few times, and in the end, you can't do that in a game like this. Oregon State needs a better performance out of its quarterback if it's going to win a game like that. That said, I think Lincoln Riley's right about the atmosphere. I was on the new side of the stadium. The press box is on the new side, so there's no fans on the side of the stadium I'm on. I was on the USC sideline, so to speak. I walked out of the press box and sat on the concrete alongside Nick Aliotti in the third quarter. He was sitting down there, Pac-12 network analyst. We just talked. And what I was struck by was how loud and fierce the crowd at Reeser Stadium sounded. 27,000 people. Now, I don't think Oregon State's piping in sound. I think it was the real deal. And I think the concrete concourse that is newly poured on the west side of the stadium, I think it reverberates all that sound right back onto the field. So I, I felt like that was a ear-splitting experience Great atmosphere, great performance by the fans, great performance by both defenses. And Lincoln Riley's right. Caleb Williams didn't have his good stuff. Oregon State's defense made him look very mediocre. The wide receivers at USC, they weren't running past Oregon State's defensive backs. I think it really did come down to USC having to find a way to win, and they did. i got to give them credit for that. I'm also kind of sick for Oregon State because that was a game Oregon State should have won. Jonathan Smith talked about Chance Nolan's performance. What did he see? Punch it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, it comes down to you play quarterback and you have a couple errors. Those would stand out. we got to be able to be smarter with the football. We do. I don't put it all on him. I mean, this thing, you turn the ball over, especially with the interceptions, you first start with the protection. He's getting hit on three or the four of them. Uh, and so he's got to we got to protect him better. Uh, understanding the situation and the decision he's making. Sometimes a sack is better than better an inter- interception. And he did some other good things. He, he moved early. It was third down scramble. Got us in the right spot. Run game-wise, got us in the right plays. Um, made some throws on third down that I thought were better. Like some of these third, six, seven, eights we converted on. Um, so there were some good plays there, but obviously the, the turnovers stand out. Yeah, the turnovers stand out. I think he's being nice there. I, in, you know, Look, he's got a coach, Chance Nolan. But you, Chance Nolan's got to get off of his back foot. He's got he's to stand in there and deliver the ball. He can't be afraid to take a shot playing the way they need him to play at the quarterback position. I feel like Oregon State found a running back in Jam Griffin. He was fantastic. Watched him late in the game, and I thought, they got their guy. They got their run game. What they need is they need a QB who can stand in there and deliver the ball in crunch time and chance nolan got on his back foot he started floating the ball and you know it it didn't end well blazers media day damian lillard talking about missing most of last year here's dame time on media day punch it uh, i mean it was uh, probably the first time in my career that i had to just watch you know i had to step away um, and deal with something that had been, you know, bothering me for a couple of years. But just I, the, the opportunity to be at home and be with my family uh, and, uh, you know, just focus on myself personally and focus on getting healthy and um, just, you know, building myself back and without the responsibility of performing, um, of, you know, worrying about winning or losing and things like that. It just, um, I just think it recharged me. You know, I, it allowed me to, to get to a place where I come back into the season where I'm just, I would say, calm, you know, at peace, excited to play again. 
He's excited to play again. They need to keep him healthy. They need to keep him feeling good. And the Blazers, by the way, are gonna they're gonna need somebody that we're not thinking about and expecting to step up and they're gonna need to find like a secret weapon, so to speak. I always say this, like in free agency, the Blazers have traditionally struggled. They didn't get the lottery pick they were tanking for, they didn't get the top pick. What they're gonna need to do is find a surprise. They're gonna need to get lucky. Even then, you know, what's the up what's the best case scenario for the Blazers this season? Play-in game? Six seed? Seven seed? Eight? I mean, best case scenario. It's pretty sobering. It's why I keep coming back to, like, the biggest development that could happen this season for the Blazers, frankly, is Jody Allen coming to her senses and going, hey, maybe it's time for me to let go of this team. Answer, yes, it's time for you to let go of this team. Our big splash is coming up. Plus, I've identified a an imposter in the Pac-12 conference. Which team... Ranked in the top 15, do I think doesn't belong there? I'll tell you in hour number two. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Our big splash coming up in this segment. We've been talking a lot about officiating. Oregon State, USC, Oregon, Washington State. I want to go to the phone lines. Phone lines are open. 503-417-7575 is the number. Larry's in Tualatin. Larry, what do you got? Hey, John. It's Larry in Tualatin. I just wanted your uh, comment on the antics that took place after the um, Oregon State game and what uh, Lincoln Riley's doing with his players and also with the Pac-12, what their comment uh, is on the situation. And then likewise, um, last week with BYU and Oregon, I know they can't control the fans, but also – um, what kind of comments out of the Pac-12 tip? Make sure we're in a safe environment. Yeah, I look, and I think you know. You, 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 I missed part of your call there as you broke up, but give me the first part of that again. Uh, my first part was the Oregon State USC game. Yeah, and the antics by the players midfield after the game. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, gotcha. And, and then what? What? What's? What's the comment from Lincoln Riley and what's he doing with his players? And then any uh, comment yeah. from Pac-12? Nothing in regards no, to that, and no, then nothing. And likewise with BYU. Yeah, they're they're doing nothing. Uh, Oregon has apologized, of course, for for the uh, antics against BYU. I saw Oregon State just a few minutes ago came out with an apology for a sign that was held up at Reeser Stadium that was disparaging the USC fans. Um, and I think I know which sign it was because I saw the commotion about it and have it removed. It wasn't rooted in race, religion, or um, uh, anything like the BYU Oregon stuff, but it was uh, it was just foul, and it was profane. So that's what I saw there. Uh, nothing from USC. I do think we have a civility issue. I saw the players on the field. The fans did not like it, but nothing from the Pac-12, nothing from USC on that front. I don't even know if they know, to be honest. Um, and as far as fan behavior is concerned, I felt like, and I can't be wrong because I was in the press box on the other side of the stadium, but I felt like, because I walked around a little bit at halftime, I felt like the fans, for the most part, were there for the right reasons, which is all I ask for when I go to a game. Fred is in Medford. Fred, what do you got? What's on your mind? Hey, JC. Thanks for taking my call. I lately have been enjoying your show. I've been a podcaster since 2014, and 
I have to concur with uh, several of the callers earlier. Uh, just, you know, society is, to me, just becoming so much more unhinged. unhinged. And uh, from, from my watch, I, I've been a school teacher. I just retired after 40 years. Lost you there. All right. I get where you're going, though, Fred, and I appreciate, um, you know, what you're saying on the officiating front. I feel for school teachers because I think that school teachers are dealing with the same stuff. You're dealing with parents. You're dealing with um, loss of civility. You're dealing with uh, the same kind of stuff that officials are dealing with, except you're in there all the time, Monday through Friday, uh, you know, 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. or whatever your school day is. And I think if we don't do a better job as parents of getting a grip, that I think we're going to be we're going to face a continued shortage of good school teachers, and we're going to face a continued shortage of officials as well. Do we have Fred back? Fred, you want to finish up real quick? Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, JC. I just I hesitated to call because uh, my viewpoint may not be very popular, but over the past four decades that I've been teaching and coaching, what I've seen is a sliding scale of attention in the classroom. Obviously, not every teacher is going to share my viewpoint, but in 2010, our school district gave every kid an iPad, which made me more and more irrelevant as time went on. And I see that my parents as well, over time, just the whole breakdown of the family at home as far as attention span, not having a dinner time, yeah. and not transferring the, the, the values and the morals of, of uh, good behavior. Yep. And I've seen that in my coaching as well. Over the past 15 years or so, just social media, we play a basketball game, and uh, afterwards, uh, my students would uh, be in, inappropriate online, or the opposing team would be, and and these issues come yeah. down to tech, and tech yeah. is just a big part of that. To where uh, people don't want to be a police officer, they don't want to be a school teacher, they don't want to be a basketball official. Yeah. Well, we gotta and, go. Uh, we gotta. I gotta get to break, but I think you're making a great point, and I think we all get where you're going. That the the technology is not making this any easier for the people who are supposed to be helping our kids, and uh, we gotta get. We gotta find a way back. Can we find a way back? B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We'll, we've got a Hall of Famer on our hands, Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. Jack Bolliard is a longtime official. He spent many of his weekends officiating uh, maybe some of your games or certainly games you watched over the years. He is a trial lawyer by trade, did that for three decades, but also moved through the ranks in college football. Uh, 17 bowl games, a white hat for the college football national championship game in 2007. He refereed high school games. He refereed Pac-10 and Pac-12 games and uh, has done a wonderful job over the years. He's now working with the Oregon Athletic Officials Association. He joins us now. Jack, thanks for giving us some of your time. Great. Glad to help, John. Give us an idea, first of all. We've been talking a lot about officiating on the show. Kind of just, you know, in general, when you hear about officiating and people belly aching over the years, I'm sure as an official, you know in your heart that the guys out there, the men and women out there, are just trying to get the calls right. You know, absolutely. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is 
how much time and effort we put in, in in training, studying rules, watching video, and getting ready for the games. We probably spend, well, definitely more time training and, and getting ready for a contest than actually working the game. You know, people will probably introduce you like I did, and they'll say, hey, he worked the 2007 Florida-Ohio State National Championship game, and here's Jack Foliard. But you worked a whole bunch of games in your career prior to that. Let's talk about your start. You know, did you did you start calling Little League games or youth basketball games, or where did you start? You know, actually I did. I, I was uh, my first year in law school, and you take classes in the morning, and you have the afternoons off. So I started working uh, uh, Pop Warner football and uh, – you know, like fifth, sixth grade basketball, pick up an extra bucks or so. And back in the day, we didn't get paid much, but there's enough to, you know, fill up my Volkswagen and get me a six pack of beer for the weekend. So, and then it kind of, I kind of got hooked. I really enjoyed it. And, and then gradually you start working your way up to the junior high level and the JV and freshman and then perhaps varsity and then small college if you're fortunate enough and you might be able to get a, some assignments in, uh, you know, Division One college football. How did that dovetail with the law work that you were doing, or was it was it so different than what you were doing, as you know, in a, in a courtroom that you know it was it kind of fed your passion outside of the courtroom? Well, there is a there is a parallel. Uh, not I was also like you said I was a trial lawyer representing doctors in hospitals, so I was an advocate in trial, but I also filled in as a pro tem judge. Uh, when some of the judges were off for taking vacation or something, and that's the exact parallel to a referee is a, a judge in a, in a trial because in law you have statutes, in, in officiating you have rules, and in law you have uh, cases, uh, court of appeals cases that interpret the statutes, and we have our casebook. And, of course, our job both on the field and the court and in the courtroom is to make sure everybody has a fair shake at it. So there's an exact parallel between that experience I had in my practice and also officiating. I've been talking a lot about continuity and comfort in, I think, in all, you know, in all industries, even even sports radio, you know, comfort is confidence. You know, Pat Casey said it best at Oregon State. He wants his guys to be comfortable. He knows they're confident if they're comfortable. As an official, when are you most comfortable on the field? Think back in your career. When you when did you walk out there and just feel like, you know what, I know it cold. I feel prepared. I'm ready. That's a great question. I really haven't thought about it. Uh, I think it depends on the level. You, 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 when you first start out, you're working lower-level games, and there comes a point probably after your first or second year where you feel very confident. Then, then you get to the next level, and there's a learning process there, and it might take a you know, number of games or a year or two. So it's kind of at each level. Uh, I, I do remember in my college career working my very first uh, Pac-10 at the time, football game up at University of Washington, and uh, I, I was not very confident. Luckily, nothing much happened, but if you get games under your belt, we call it snaps. The more snaps you get and the more uh, you realize you can do it at that highest level, the more confidence you gain. Is it harder? I've often thought about this because, you know, I used to umpire Little League games, and I would think about the different levels. Is it harder to, uh, to referee or officiate as the level of play and skill and speed increases, or is it more difficult when the games are sloppier and kids are just learning fundamentals and you're at the youth sports scene? Yeah, it, it, it kind of works both ways. Uh, I mean, you're right on in the sense that at the younger levels, crazy things can happen, and, and you got to be ready for them. I mean, like in Little League, you guys might overrun bases and run around, and, and you got to figure out what the rules are and stuff. But 
the higher you go is a different type of, uh, of of pressure, so to speak, because the games mean more. I mean, every game is important, but obviously there's a big difference between, say, Pac Gym Championship game and, and Saturday morning soccer. So it uh, it's a different kind of uh, of pressure. But but you're right. The lower levels, I mean, goofy things can happen. Whereas the higher levels, they're better athletes, and you can kind of anticipate exactly what you know may or may not happen there on the field or the court. We're talking to legendary official Jack Foliard, uh, who turned a part-time activity into his passion. Um, Jack, let's talk about the shortage of officials at the high school level. It's it's a national issue. It's certainly an issue here in the state of Oregon. About a third of the officials from just 2019, three years ago, uh, no longer with the organization, having a more difficult time recruiting, retaining. What is going on, in your opinion, with officiating in youth sports and high school sports? Yeah, it's becoming a, a real problem if it's not that already. In fact, crisis, and again, it's not just Oregon. It's all over the United States with the shortage of officials, and there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, I think the abuse that we take now, is, uh, particularly at the high school and lower level, is more is worse than it was years ago. Uh, but uh, also uh, we get got hit hard with from the pandemic, and a lot of the officials uh, who are sort of toward the end of their careers decided not to come back. But we're having a hard time recruiting and filling the bucket that's uh, that's emptying. So, as you know, John, it's it's so bad that we're having to reschedule games. In some cases, games at the high school level uh, can't be played or they're not going to be played on a Friday night, for example, in football. And we're overworking our officials. I mean, the officials are working twice as many games a week than they normally would, which puts pressures on them and their family, et cetera. So I don't have an answer other than we just got to get out there and, and recruit as best we can. Yeah, for people who are interested, I will tweet out a link. Um, the OSAA has a website. I believe it's called New Officials. Is it newofficials.org or .com? What is it? John, it's .org, newofficials.org. Okay. Newofficials.org will take you to a contact page where you can put your name, your email address, your phone number in, sports you're interested in, uh, your zip code, and that can really get you started. It's obviously too late for high school football season, Jack, but... Uh, it, when do they start doing? When does the OSAA start doing training, or the officials association start doing training for basketball? That, that's actually not that far away. Uh, you know, typical season starts around the first of uh, December, so we're talking uh, mid-October or so when the when the training sessions crank up, uh, or at least by the end of October. So now's the time if anyone's interested in high school. Basketball and wrestling in the winter sports is to get contact our local association through that website and get going. The idea that we've got parents and maybe a culture that's out of control, uh, the criticism of officials in youth sports, uh, parents, you know, I'm speaking to a lot of our audience here now, like, you know, you're at games, I'm at games. I think we got to hold each other accountable. But we also need to be reasonable with what we're watching here. Give me an idea, Jack, from an official standpoint. How big do you think the fan behavior and the abuse of officials, how big is that in this equation where there's a shortage? Well, I think it's pretty big um, I, because in my long time of working officiating, it's, it's probably worse now than it was when I first started. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is that uh, fans have at times unreasonable expectations for high school officials, and, they, and the reason is because, now they can watch the professional officials, NBA, you know, uh, soccer, baseball, football on TV, and they expect that these 
second, third, fourth year officials at the high school level should perform exactly the same way, and that's just not going to happen. I mean, that's just sort of a, a, a given, if you, if you will. So, uh, and also, unfortunately, you know, we hear every week about assaults on officials throughout the country. There have been many, many actual physical assaults on officials, and we've had instances in Oregon where we haven't had any assaults to my knowledge, but we've had parents or fans, I guess, you know, follow and scream at officials as they try to get to their car after contests. That's very discouraging. That's brutal. I mean, if you're out there and you're listening and you see a parent who's following an official to their car, I would hope that you'd intervene. And if you're a parent who's following an official to their car, give yourself a reality check and ask yourself if maybe you've lo- you've become unhinged here. We're talking to Jack Foliard, who is a longtime official uh, in the Pac-10, Pac-12 youth sports, high school sports. He's done it all. He is in the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the Pac-12, but I'm worried about youth sports. And I think it, it starts there. And if we can, Jack, I think if we can create really good officials in the youth sports realm, maybe get them a little more money, maybe get them better training, maybe invest in sort of building them up, I think that will translate in better officials in high school games, small college games, Pac-12 games. Who knows where it goes? Because I worry that we're, we're, uh, we're eliminating maybe some future stars in the officiating ranks by by having, uh, you know, knocking them out at the youth sports level. You know, that's actually an excellent uh, concept, uh, and I think it patterns after other professions. Uh, yes, yeah, so we put a lot of, we put a lot, if we can put a lot of energy and resources, et cetera, at the lower level, then attract more more folks into the into the avocation then obviously it's going to bear fruit at the end when people get to the very top of their particular sport, whether it be top college officiating or even into the, into the professional ranks. Jack Folliard is with us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm even thinking about, you know, nonprofit organizations. I'm thinking about conferences like the Pac-12 and others that could get involved, businesses that are listening who, who would say, look, well, I want to invest in youth sports, and, you know, you got kids who play sports. Why not invest in the official association and, I, I imagine that the pay is modest. I imagine that, um, you know, it's a shoestring budget probably for some of these organizations. Would that be a help, you know, you know, if the BFT Foundation came out, for example, the nonprofit we're associated with, and said, look, we want to we want to invest in good officiating and make it a little more lucrative, or other businesses came out, like, what, what role could the community play, I guess is what I'm asking, Jack. Yeah, and, of course, it's, uh, I use the word resources, but, of course, when we say resources, we're talking about finances, which can help a lot. Uh, officials at the high school level were paid by the high schools themselves. And, of course, they have limited budgets, and the OSAA uh, goes through a process every few years to take a look at the fee schedule for officials, and we're going through it right now. And I'm sure there's going to be some increases, which will help immensely. But I'm also thinking now, you know, putting on training conferences and seminars and, and bringing in some what we call in the in the hobby heavy hitters, uh, maybe from the professional ranks, to teach, help teach at, at, at that level, uh, at the lower levels, and of course that takes some funds to do that. But that, you no, know, really getting getting the business community and the community involved uh, in helping to improve officiating um, is is great. But I, I got I got to have, I have to say that you know we focus as a society on the missed calls, uh, but people forget know how good and how accurate officiate officials are overall. I mean, we're in the 99th percentile, but of course it's not 
it's not popular uh, for the media to uh, talk about a great, fantastic call an official makes because <laughs> if you think about it, John, the expectation is that we're supposed to be perfect and get better from there. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, when nothing happens, nobody says anything. That's probably a really well-officiated game, and nothing is said, nothing is written about it. Jack Foliard is with us. Did instant replay in television, has that helped or hurt officiating? I'm, I'm on the fence, given that, you know, we can see replays, we can, all, we can see how good the officials are sometimes, but other times, you know, you're on the field, you don't have the benefit of a replay. You don't have the benefit of slowing things down like we do in our living room. No, that's true, but I tell you, as an official, instant replay is fantastic. Uh, we want to get it right by any means possible. And the, at the higher levels, the athletes are so fast and so quick, and we get that one you know, split-second look at whether the foot was on the sideline or not. Uh, I always have Joe Schmidlap sitting at home in front of his big TV can, can figure out what should have happened, and why not have that <laughs> resource available to us. So uh, by and large, the vast majority of officials like instant replay because, like I say, we want to get it right. Now, the other flip side of that is you're right. Maybe the expectation is, uh, you know, maybe we are missing calls that we shouldn't miss. But remember, every time you see an instant replay, I mean, you've got the people in the booth, slow motion, back and forth, freeze frame, and the uh, the uh, talking heads, I call them, on the TV, they'll take a look at it too, and then they'll make the right call. Well, we don't, as you say, we don't have that benefit. We've already made our call in an instant, but... By and large, I think instant replay is good for the game. Now, you you did this at a high level for a long time on the field. I got to know because you were around a lot of high-profile coaches. You know, I always see the coaches barking at the officials during the game. They're working them a little bit, trying to get them to look for the holding or look for the look for the offsides or look for this or that. Um, what is that like as an official when you're out there, you've got a job to do, and then over your shoulder you've got, you know, somebody lobbying you? Or maybe even yelling at you, like you know, I you've probably seen it done well and done poorly. Well, I get a kick out of that because uh, it's like uh, um, now think about this, John. You're sitting there thinking about writing your article, starting to write your article, and you've got three or four guys over your shoulder telling you what to write, and not to write, and screaming at you <laughs> as you type type along. You're probably not going to do a great job, but we get you know we get used to that, and uh, I've always got a kick out of. Uh, the coaches sometimes at, at any level, they, they think that they're supposed to school us and supposed to get on us and help out. Well, I can control my consciousness, absolutely. not going to pay attention to it. But can I control my subconscious? So my advice to coaches is to be sweethearts. I mean, there's nothing bad about that. There's nothing wrong about that. But, again, you have to have a thick skin. We know that going into the hobby of the fishing. We have to have a thick skin. Uh, but, again, you know, coaches, they're excited. They've got a lot of, a lot of stake, and they've, working real hard all week, and they see something they think is wrong, whether it is or not, uh, I can understand it, that they're going to holler at us. Did you ever have a coach that you just you enjoyed calling the games because you knew that even if you missed one, you got one right, that that, that person understood? Were, were there coaches that were more fun, I guess, to, to officiate than others? Oh, yes, definitely. But uh, please don't ask me for any names. <laughs> I love it. Jack Foliard, hey, I appreciate you. Again, for people who want to get involved, uh, newofficials.org. that right? Newofficials.org. You can get started. If you want to become a sports official, that's where you start. You can get the training, find out everything you need to know about it. Uh, I encourage you to do that. Get involved. Uh, we'll all do what we can as a society. If you're out there and you don't want to be an official, 
at the very least, stop yelling at the official at your kid's game. Understand that they're out there. They're doing their best. They're trying to get it right. Jack Foliard, I appreciate you. Yeah, and uh, one last thing I'd like to say is uh, I realize we're talking about the shortage and sometimes about fan abuse, but by and large, it's a wonderful avocation, wonderful hobby. I have lifelong friends all over the United States because of officiating, and you're giving back to uh, to the kids, getting a lot of outdoor and then sometimes indoor activity, physical activity, and you're contributing. So hopefully the folks realize that the the, the, the benefits and the pros of officiating far outweigh the cons. Jack Fulliard, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Next time you're at a sporting event, maybe maybe don't yell at the official, especially if you're at a youth sporting event. Maybe uh, when you walk in, go, hey, uh, look around. I'm not at a pro game. None of these people are making uh, $50 million a season. So uh, adjust your expectations accordingly. Leave it here. you got the bald face truth statewide. I hate that I have to say that. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think there's a pretender or an imposter, one and the same, in the top 15 of the AP poll. And I think this pretender is from the Pac-12 conference. I'll tell you what I mean about that coming up in a moment. Anna's popped into the studio. I have to know from a fan perspective, Anna, you were in the stands on Saturday night at Research Stadium. USC was playing Oregon State. Uh, what were your immediate takeaways for people who, who were there, weren't there? What was the atmosphere like? I was in the press box. I was on the other side of the stadium. Yeah. So I didn't get the true fan experience. No, that place was rocking. I don't know... Um... You know, I feel like the noise is condensed now since everybody's just on one side and we're all squished together. But uh, I felt like the enthusiasm from the fans was just at a super high level. I think people are really excited about how Oregon State is playing. Obviously crushed at the end uh, with the loss because with the late touchdown from OSU, I think people... USC. I'm uh, from no from Oregon State. Like I think oh. they really thought they had the game in hand. You know, people were up. Like there was hope. There was sort of like victory within the grasp. And then, as USC started to drive on those uh, on that on those first downs, it was uh, you could see the air just go out of the room. I thought it happened. I thought the big moment for USC is when they had the ball on their own one yard line, and they drove it out. Mm-hmm. And they drove the length of the field. Yeah. Because to me, that was the game. Mm-hmm. Like, there was Oregon State. You had them pinned. They even had them on third down. And USC threw the ball. And yeah. so it was, uh, I thought that was the moment. And then what happened at the end of the game? Like, you know, I saw the USC players run to midfield and kind of do snow angels on the beaver. <laughs> you were over there with Oregon State fans. What was the reaction to that? It was kind of cute because they were... Like, there were grown men that were genuinely offended because that was happening. They were yelling uh, down to the field saying, get off the beaver, get off the beaver. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it was, it was kind of sad because they were, they were really they were genuinely upset, genuinely upset and offended yeah. that that was happening. And I didn't blame them. It was really, you know, when did crappy. that, did that, when did that start being a thing? Steve and Sean, do you know, like I, 
I remember Troy Dye at Oregon when Oregon beat Washington at Washington doing a snow angel on the W at midfield. Well, he just, did it. Just yeah. celebrating that, that midfield. The first one I remember is T.O. He was the first one to uh, do the that. star. Yeah, when he, when he did a thing on the star. And so I think, and then Baker did it at uh, where Ohio, was it? State. Ohio State. Yeah, he planted the flag. So this is uh, the the loss of civility started with T.O. and Baker Mayfield. I think so. I think <laughs> That's so. Yeah, where we can trace it back to. Well, one of the students, like people didn't report this, but a student jumped out of the stands at Reeser Stadium when this was happening and tried to defend the honor of the Beaver emblem at midfield. He made it about 10 yards onto the field before he was tackled by state troopers and security guards <laughs> and then dragged uh, 90 yards across the field. <laughs> I don't know if he got arrested or just escorted out. I'm hoping just escorted out. But he was trying to defend the honor of the Beaver. He jumped out of the stands, and they just face-planted the guy. I saw that. I mean, you could tell there was some kind of skirmish going on closer to the tunnel. And then it was very noticeable because you could see the Benton County Sheriff's deputies, like, you know, hauling it down the down the field like they were down on the other end zone and they were they were bolting to that tunnel to try and you know tamp down that situation i wondered at first if oregon state was piping in sound because it was so loud like yeah with the sound system but i checked on it i kind of walked around on the west side of the stadium to see like was were they using the speakers to make it loud and it wasn't coming from the speakers it was coming from the east side of the stadium like all the noise was coming from the east side of the stadium and i think it was just there's a new structure there like it's really built up it's more built up than i thought it would be Mm -hmm. uh, like sooner like it looks more ready it looks like all they have to do is put in the seats right i'm sure there's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to happen but it looks like they just need to put in seats and say go but I think it's bouncing, like all that noise from 27,000 people is bouncing <laughs> off the concrete and then being, being reflected back at the east side. That's funny. That's really funny. But yeah, I, no, I kind of wondered. I thought Oregon State in general, just they did a great job. You know, they always do a good job. But um, I think at this game, I haven't been to that many games in general. You know, I've been to Ducks games too. But I think they do a really good job, like emphasizing the family event you know they've got a great setup uh like on the football practice field yeah where you can go throw a football and and sort of like a, a pep rally you know pre-game and everything and for people that have like littler kids like that's a long day right to try and go down which there was and... this that was the predicament you were in because it was you right. <laughs> you the six-year-old and the eight-year-old i was working yes. you were just kind of hanging out at the game yeah with the girls 30 start yeah so you know with a bedtime that's closer to like 7 30 that's that's kind of challenging so even in the stadium they have like a family zone too that we made use of in the second half because that's a long long time for like little ones to sit through i uh there was a lot of uh talk on today's show and i just want to touch on this a little bit about officiating the uh osaa the state of oregon uh state of washington in fact nationally there is a there's an epidemic going on is that is that the right word epidemic uh too soon they are yeah they are struggling to find officials People don't want to officiate youth sports games or high school games. I think we're probably five to ten years away from this hitting college athletics where they go, hey, there's a real shortage of qualified college referees. It's nothing that anybody in the Pac-12 wants to hear, okay? So given the problems. But we're trying to drill down on what it is. Is it civility? Is it the lack of pay? Is it that 
you know, the freshman and JV games that happen in high school start often at 3 or 4 o'clock and people can't get off work to go do it. Um, why do you think people don't want to be youth and high school officials anymore? They're saying they are down 33% from two years ago on their officials. They're having to reschedule games because they can't find officials to call the football games and they're really worried about basketball. Well, like most things, I think it's, you know, multiple reasons. Um, probably the officiating issue is part and parcel with a lot of other industries that are having problems filling positions. I mean, everywhere you look right now, it's, we're hiring. Please come work with us. Here's our bonus that we'll give you if you sign up with us to, to work. And so, I mean, I, I don't think it's isolated from that sort of hiring challenge. But I, who in their right mind wants to be an official these days? I mean, every report that you see every day is about fans behaving badly and players behaving badly. And when you blow a call, you know, the vitriol that you get from people. Like, who honestly wants to sign up for that? I, I wouldn't. I think it's a big problem, and I think the the bill is coming due at the high school and the youth level. Look out for when uh, you know they can't find officials that are qualified to to uh, call college games. Uh, Alex is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene wants to join the conversation. Go ahead, Alex. Hey, John, how are you, man? Doing well. Good. Love your show. Uh, definitely one of the best sports and community uh, talk shows there are. Thank you. Um, so. Yeah, I think it's civility, and I think it's not – I mean, we talk about the fans, we talk about the players, but about 15 years ago, my kids were in uh, kids' sports doing junior soccer, Bumblebee. And I got to the game late because uh, I had to work, and as I'm walking up, there's a parent who's just mad. And he's like, I'm calling kids' sports. And my wife looks over, and she goes, oh, Alex is here. He'll take care of it. And I'm like, what's going on? And the, the referee was a 14-year-old gal – third grade kids and the opposing coach is cussing and screaming at her every yeah. time she does something he doesn't like and so yeah. my wife gave me free reign to take over and i just went over and stood by him the whole rest of the game and every time he did something i'm like man is that really the way you want to represent yourself yeah and it yeah. took i don't know maybe five minutes before he decided that he would be civil but i mean you start picking on young kids why do they want to progress any further yeah right? it's true it's a good point. Uh, we had a friend. Like, okay, because, you know, our kid is playing volleyball. And what they had in volleyball is they have an official who is up on the net, like the lead official is up on that lifeguard stand that's by the net. And then you have kids from other teams who are like 13-year-old kids who are serving as the line judges. And they're doing it because they it helps teach them the rules of the game. It helps teach them, like, empathy for officials because once anybody has done any of this crap you know how difficult it is well our friend who's a good guy he's a normal well-adjusted person mostly he started in on the 13 year old kid who missed a call like she missed the call she blew the call but he was really hot about it do you remember that uh, i walked over and talked to him and i was like hey man that could be your kid <laughs> Yeah, but she missed the call. Yeah, well, and that's I get the it. Thing. She missed the call. I get it. I, it, it. It bugs me too. But this is a great opportunity to learn a little bit about adversity. You missed the call for the grown-up parent to we're, learn about adversity. Yeah, we're gonna learn. We're gonna live. <laughs>
going to be okay. Well, and what I like about Alex from Eugene is that he wasn't just a bystander. You know, we teach our kids, like, be upstanders, don't be bystanders. And he did something about it. Like, he went and checked that coach, another adult man, to be like, dude, chill. Like, seriously, is this really what you want to do? You really want to, like, you know, tear down a 13- or 14-year-old kid who's making maybe – 12 to 15 dollars an hour to officiate this third grade game give me a break i wrote about it at johnconzano.com this morning and i i did get some emails from people who said look uh there's a shortage of officials there's also a shortage of teachers is the same thing going on i i sort of suspect some of the same things are going on because i think teachers work long hours they probably look at the pay and go hey i can be making money uh, more money doing other things i don't want to deal with the parents over involved uh, you know Hovering parents, um, I think there's some of the same issues. Let's go to the phone lines. Eric's in Portland. Eric, welcome. Hey, thanks. So I am a teacher and an OSAA coach, and let me tell you, um, the last couple of years, thanks to COVID, we had a number of teachers, a uh, number of coaches who were in their you know mid to late 50s, early 60s, people who were hanging on, maybe they've been teaching 20, 30 years, and you know, they were going to be able to do it for another five or ten years. We depended on their experience and their excellence to help raise up that next generation. The problem is they all up and quit. Uh, not every single teacher at that age, but I, I'll tell you, a good majority of them did because COVID was so difficult to navigate. Uh, there was so very little support. We, yeah, we had more funding, but we didn't have support, and we weren't seeing kids in the way we were used to seeing them. So now... Uh, like even in teaching in the state of Oregon, we, we're giving emergency licenses to kids who don't even have a college degree, and we're saying, good luck. Here's a classroom full of kids that you know nothing about or how to teach yet. You just know your subject matter. We'll try and raise you up and get you the best way we can. Good luck. That's hard, man. That's wow. really hard. And, look, I think, you know, the pandemic played a, a, a big chunk of a role in this because I do think you had people who – we're doing officiating as a side hustle, and yeah. let's say let's say it's 2019. Mm-hmm. You, this is your side hustle. You're calling high school football games or youth sports games. Now all of a sudden the games are gone. Maybe you started making birdhouses. Maybe you started, you know, you became uh, somebody who found another hobby. Like I don't know. Maybe you started, you know, you pulled out your baseball cards and started selling those. Like you found some other avenue for your side hustle, and I think. Uh, you know, to the caller's point, like a lot of the officials were people in their 50s and 60s who could be available at three or four o'clock and maybe were working jobs that they could be available. Or maybe they were teachers who were also coaching or umpiring or officiating. So I think all of this kind of goes together. But I do think fan behavior is part of it. I want solutions. 503-417-7575. Plus, there's an imposter in the Pac-12, and it's an undefeated team. I'll tell you who it is coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You guys seen the video of Ken Dorsey going crazy in the final seconds of the uh, Bills-Dolphins game? Oh, I've seen it. People don't know, uh, Ken Dorsey is the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. In uh, in the waning moments on Sunday, um, down by two, Bills in the final minute, 
Um, we're trying to get the offense lined up so they could spike the ball and stop the clock and maybe attempt a field goal to win the game. But uh, at the 41-yard line with nine seconds to go, the offense failed to get in formation, couldn't stop the clock, and Dorsey did what we have all probably done in some bad moment. Unfortunately for him, there's a camera in the box, and it caught him smashing his headset, smashing a tablet, throwing throwing a tantrum, so to speak, in the uh, coaching box. Anna, what was your reaction to that? I don't you know why, but I think it's really funny. I guess if like, if you were to look at more seriously, like, oh, does he have an anger issue? Nah. But there's part of me that like almost kind of likes that he is so passionate about what is happening that his level of frustration can rise to that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, John, when they- you played, did you ever have a moment where you like smashed things or you like you know, <laughs> threw things? I'll tell you what I did. One time I struck out. And had a bat at bat, and I took my batting gloves off as I was walking back to the dugout, and I threw them over the grandstand, over the heads of all the fans into the parking lot. I wadded them up and threw them, and I I got into the uh, dugout, and my coach said, uh, I don't ever want to see you do that again. But you know what? It felt really good. We've seen a lot of that this this season. Like we, it just came out that Tom Brady broke two tablets during his tantrum against uh, I think the Saints. And yeah, we see a lot of that. And like, I don't know, it's easy for me to say, but it just doesn't accomplish anything when you just, nope. you know, all you're doing is making things worse by breaking something or yeah. hurting someone. It does feel know, good. Doesn't though. it kind of feel it good does though feel sometimes good. when you throw a tantrum? <laughs> like, that's like the six year old in me. That's, I mean, the NFL clearly needs like tablet insurance, right? Between Brady and this guy. But <laughs> I mean, it's great, great advertising for the tablets. Right? Tablets should be like, and it still works. Yeah, you know? still throwing and still work. Yeah, because I did the same thing when I played basketball. I, had a re- I was having a really hot stretch, and then I had a really bad game. There was a timeout, and I went and I just kicked the chair as hard as I could. And uh, my coach pulled me aside, pulled me the rest of the game, and then uh, we had a talk. But, yeah. Dorsey came out, and he said, "We're I'm human. We're all human, as you saw. <laughs> it's just uh, that's what the Miami Dolphins do to people. Yeah. I, and by the way, isn't that great for the league? Like, this is what's right with the NFL that the NBA just can will never get. The fact that the Dolphins just a couple of years ago were historically bad, and now they look like they might be the best team in the NFL. That's the NFL. Like in the NBA, like Blazer fans don't have that hope that like two years from now they could be in the NBA Finals. Like you don't have that hope. It's not possible. I think it's great for the NFL. Yeah, and like the Giants, the New York Giants, who have been a laughing stock, they have a chance to move the three and zero tonight if they win. And really, there's only one zero and three team, and it's the Raiders, a team that we expected to be good. And then other than the Dolphins and the Eagles, and potentially the Giants, every team's either one or two and two and one. So it's just a huge clump of teams all together. It's great. You want Ken Dorsey on your side or no? I do. Yeah, he wants to win. Yeah. I I also think, you know what, there's nothing funnier than seeing an adult who's <laughs> losing their marbles over something like that. Like, the mom side of me wants to be like, okay, you know what, like, we can... We can control our emotions a little better. There's people that are saying that he should take anger management classes. Mm, and they're I'm not like, going there. Somebody even said, like, oh, they should drug test him. It's like, oh, come on. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm okay with it. I think it's okay. Haven't we all, like, kicked something or thrown something out I, of frustration? I'm okay with it in part because I want to make the distinction, like, hey, we, uh, we're not talking about him going after an official. 
Yeah. We're not talking about him like threatening somebody's uh, well-being. Yeah. He's just losing his stuff. <laughs> You know? It kind of reminds me of the, um, remember the Cristobal situation last year with one of the Oregon players, oh, you know, yeah. and he kind of lost his cool. And, like, that's the difference, though. Like, he's just kind of losing it on a tablet and, like, a desk versus, like, you know, last year, like you said, John, like, if you're losing it on a player, then we have a different conversation. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation, though, because it's like, you know, I don't want to say there's only two kinds of people in life, but there's definitely people that are more restrained with their emotions, and then there are people that punch holes in walls when they're mad and frustrated, right? So, you know, I've I've kind of seen it all. Like, we had a weather guy that was real popular uh, in TV news and is still very popular, but, you know, definitely had like a like a temper and when things went wrong technically it wasn't unusual to hear like things slamming and breaking in the weather room yeah. at uh, one of the stations that i worked at uh, one of the newspapers i worked at there was a city editor who had a temper yeah and he would take it out on his phone he would <laughs> get a phone? he would get a phone call it was a landline you know old days he would get a phone call probably from some reporter saying i'm not going to make deadline or we're not going to have this in time whatever he would have a very tense conversation, and when he hung up the phone, he would <laughs> slam the receiver down. And more more than once, I saw, like, pieces of the phone fly. Like, the <laughs> dial on the phone would fly off, or the earpiece would break off. And, you know, he's now, uh, I think he's working at one of the other. He's still out there. Yeah. I follow him on Twitter. Don't you think that news kind of attracts those, like, eccentric personalities, though? Yeah. Because I, I think, like in the super corporate world, like you can't you can't quite pull this off, like in a total sterile office setting no. either, right? Yeah, you but could. Newsrooms do that. are a little weird. Newsrooms are weird. It's a weird collection of people. Yeah. In general, um, I've been teasing an imposter in the top fifteen. I think the Pac-12. Pac-12 has four teams in the top fifteen. How about that? Here for the Pac-12, and then it's got Washington State and Oregon State unranked, probably. In my estimation, the two best unranked teams in America, like I would put Washington State and Oregon State, I'd put them against anybody about number 20 and below in the rankings, and I would feel good about them winning. Like I would, you know, feel really good. Like, you know, Oregon State went toe-to-toe with USC, uh, and Washington State went toe-to-toe with Oregon. Um, But here's what I think uh, is going on in the top 15. I think there's a lot of guessing and wishing and hoping going on. And, and as we found out over the weekend, Miami loses. You know, there's teams that have popped up and then popped down, and they're out of the top 25 now. Um, you know, we saw Michigan State. We thought they were really good. They played Washington, and then all of a sudden, maybe they're not that good. Minnesota blew them off the face of the earth. So we're trying to – I think college football is still trying to figure out who are the imposters, who are the pretenders, and who are the contenders. But in the top 15, I think there is a glaring one, and I think it is number six USC. They're not that good. They're good, like they're a top 25 team, but they are not a top 10 team, not based on what I saw on Saturday. They, the receivers did not run by Oregon State. The offensive and defensive line, I thought Oregon State was more physical. I think Oregon State is every bit as good as USC, and I don't think Oregon State's a top 10 team, but uh, I think USC is there because it's the USC brand. They are an imposter I think they're going to lose multiple games this year. I think USC ends up out of the top ten. I think they're going to have more than they're going to have two or more losses, maybe three losses. But their schedule's favorable. Like they don't have to play Washington. 
They uh, don't have to play Oregon in the regular season, but I still think they're going to lose multiple games. They are an imposter. Do you see any other imposters? If we're going to go definition of imposter of, like, who's going to lose first out of those four teams, which is why I kind of... Like, yeah, or who doesn't belong in the top so 10 I, or 15. I, yeah. think, I think that Utah belongs, but I think that they may be the first team to lose. Hmm. Right, they play Oregon State, then at UCLA, and then USC. I think they could lose one of those three games, even especially that USC game. I think Washington has a legitimate chance to lose this week at UCLA. That spread started out at Washington minus once, all the way up to three and a half. So a lot of money coming on Washington, but it's going to be their first road game. And I know UCLA isn't a great home field advantage, but that's a tough matchup, man, to go on the road first, uh, first conference road game Friday night. Kind of a weird situation. I think that could be a loss as well. When I look at this top 15, correct me if I'm wrong, this may this may sound dumb considering what we've seen early on. Is it just me or does some of these SEC teams a little bit overrated? You know, yeah. Kentucky and Tennessee specifically. Yep. Both those teams have beaten Florida, and I know Florida beat Utah, but Florida struggled ever since that game, and that was just such a weird week one game where they beat Utah. And I don't really see any other big wins by teams like Kentucky and Tennessee, and those aren't really programs that I think of that highly if I'm thinking about past years. So I, you know, I'm, I kind of disagree on USC. I think they're going to go on and have a big year. I think I like what I saw against their with their defense on Saturday, and you know they found a way to win just like Oregon did. But yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm looking at teams that I think are a little bit too high, it's Kentucky and Tennessee. I think the SEC in general. I think look, I think the top of the SEC is fantastic. But let's be real, uh, there's a whole bunch of propaganda in their corner. Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on seven fifty the game. Big bounce-back week ahead for Oregon State as they go to Utah on Saturday. we got a Friday game in the Pac-12. Uh, mentioned last segment, Washington going to UCLA on Friday. Chip Kelly did something interesting after last Saturday's game. He normally has Sunday as an off day, but it is a short week this week for them as they play a Friday game. But he not only practiced on Sunday... He has moved his practices this week to the evenings because he wants his team accustomed to being uh, ready to perform when the lights turn on. And uh, he is getting his Bruins ready for conference play uh, and uh, their first big game in conference play this weekend is uh, Friday. They will host Washington. Uh, I'll give our picks. We'll talk about our picks on Thursday's show. But I think it's interesting that Chip Kelly is doing that. He's on a big win streak, his longest win streak at UCLA. And a lot of people wondering, is Washington for real after seeing Michigan State boat raced by Minnesota? There's a lot of that going on in college football right now. So uh, we'll know probably Friday night how good is Washington, how good is UCLA. Saturday, the Beavers will go to Rice-Eccles Stadium. It's a tough place to play. We'll be talking this week. Kyle Whittingham on tomorrow's show, Utah coach. He'll join us tomorrow. Jonathan Smith on Wednesday. We'll also be talking about Oregon as Oregon is preparing uh, uh, to play against Stanford this week. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about what it is that, you know, in conference play, uh, what it is to get a win every week. I mean, look, look at what Oregon did last week in going into Pullman 
which is a ridiculously hard place to play, coming from behind in the final minutes to win the game, scored 29 points in the fourth quarter. Um, Oregon did some things in the fourth quarter that it had to do to win the game. i got to give Oregon a lot of credit. That, to me, shows you a lot of resilience. Anytime you win on the road in this conference, it, it you know credit to you. So I look at teams that go out and win road games, even USC going into Corvallis. Like, I was impressed with that win, even though USC didn't look great. But I kind of walked away thinking a lot more about Oregon State and psychologically will they be able to bounce back this week against a very good Utah team. We'll uh, keep you posted on that front. The 5 at 5 is coming up next. I want you to be here for it. Five biggest stories, some of it in Spanish. Next. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Ken Monday Night Football coming up in about 10, 11 minutes from now, it, right here on 750 The Game. But we're going to give you the 5 at 5 leading right into that, and some of it is coming in Spanish. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn Nets guard, told media that he turned down a four-year contract extension prior to the 2020-21 season because of his decision to not get vaccinated. He said it felt like an ultimatum giving up $100 million. He's not vaccinated. He was forced to miss home games in Brooklyn until late March because of the New York City vaccination mandate. Nets GM Sean Marks pushed back on the notion that he was given an ultimatum. He said, quote, there's no ultimatum being given here. Again, it goes back to that you want people who are reliable, people who are here and accountable. All of us, staff, players, coaches, you name it, it's not giving someone an ultimatum to get a vaccine. That's a personal choice. I stand by Kyrie. I think if he wants, he's made that choice. That's his prerogative completely. End quote. Anna, number two, go. Seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson is retiring from full-time racing. He'll be turning his focus towards spending time with family. He's figuring that his uh, future schedule will include no more than 10 bucket list events. But the 47-year-old doesn't know yet what that will look like by next year he's hanging it up what's he gonna go do no he idea? doesn't know yet he says he loves colorado yeah, he'll wants be back. to spend more time lots swirling professionally and personally wants to take some time and make a decision he's gonna be driving at malibu grand prix <laughs> racing kids <laughs> number three in our five at five greg popovich is 73 years old he had media day today the san antonio spurs are being picked as a sleeper team are they a sleeper well, their bedtime might come early. The Spurs have 10 players who are 25 or younger on their roster. Greg Popovich said, quote, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll say it anyway. What the hell? Nobody here should go to Vegas with the thought of betting on us to win a championship. End quote. They're young and he's old. Greg Popovich and the Spurs, they're sandbagging. Are they contenders? Steven? Uh, no. No. Number four. Anna, go. Former surfing star Chris Davidson died over the weekend. He was punched in the face in the fight outside a bar in Australia. He's only 45 years old. Police responded to uh, some kind of altercation around 11 o'clock. 
and a man later ID'd as Davidson had allegedly hit his head on the ground after a punch. They found him unconscious. So somebody punched him. Somebody punched and him he, and then his head yeah. hit the ground. Oh, he was man. taken to a hospital but then died a so short time later. So he was killed. Later. Yeah. He was killed. A 42-year-old 42, 42 man has been arrested and charged with assault causing death. Yeah. Bad situation. Thanks for bringing us down. You're welcome. There it is. Uh, finally, the fifth thing in our five at five, can we go for some Spanish radio calls of college football highlights? Yeah, somebody's doing this. Here's Oregon's Mace Funa with a pick six in Espanol, por favor. Será segundo y cuatro. Termina por ser interceptado. I love it. Quack, quack, he said. You like that? <laughs> Jerry Allen, come on, man. Pick it up. Pick up your game, Georgie. <laughs> Great stuff. How about Kansas football? En Espanol, por favor. Buscando un pase, Jalen Daniels pasa a Hisho, Hisho la atrapa, Hisho se la lleva, Hisho primera, Hisho se la lleva, por la 50, se sigue corriendo, no se ha caído Daniel Hisho, y se sigue corriendo, Daniel Hisho, Daniel Hisho, nota touchdown para los Kansas Jayhawks, Daniel Hisho, no se cae señoras y señores, para esta segunda anotación de los Kansas Jayhawks, Itala. Everything sounds more exciting. When it's in a foreign language. <laughs> it just does. Need a little more of that. You know what I would like to do? I would like to see is... I would like to see, like, um, an amalgam. Like a blend. Like, put Jerry Allen in the booth with the guy who was going quack, quack. You know what I mean? And let, <laughs> him, kind of, let him kind of mash it up together during the game. <laughs> I'd be really excited. Remember when uh, Gra Graham Gano kicked the 63-yard field goal? Help the Panthers beat the Giants. Here it is on Panthers Radio. Le ha sobrado distancia. Le van a servir. Tiene altura. Tiene profundidad. Va a llegar. Va a llegar. Ganó, lo ganó. 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 Señor, ganó, lo ganó. Ganó, lo ganó. Yo sí le voy, le voy a los Panthers. Taca, 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 taca. Yo sí le voy, le voy a los Panthers. Should take video of the dancing you're doing. Oh, I love it. I'm glad I'm not the only one that was dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the Spanish call of an Argentina goal in the 85th minute in the World Cup in 2018. <laughs>
There it is. <laughs> Speaking of passion, my goodness. I grew up kind of rural. You know what it reminded me of? What? We used to have farm animals that would give birth. They kind of do a low moan in that way while they're giving birth. Wow. I can see that one coming. <laughs> Finally, one more. Max Scherzer on the mound. Dam Daniel Camarena at the plate. Salió Chris Mapp y Nick Ramirez del roster. Le tiró. ¡Jaló la bola! ¡Qué palo por la derecha! ¡Lo va a sacar! ¡Se va! ¡Se va! ¡Se fue! Imparable en Grandes Ligas del San Diego en casa. El México norteamericano ha pedido el rey de Vicente Fernández al presentarse a batear en Grandes Ligas por primera ocasión. Es un salami a la calle. Camarena, Camarena, ra, 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 la medalla de oro que se la ponga, lo recibe el ministro, qué turno, en casa, volviendo por la puerta grande en plan de héroe, pone a los padres en el juego, y sobre el futuro salón de la fama, Manchester, ocho carreras a seis. Do you think we could learn something from that? Um, yeah, the crescendo, Yeah. how exciting that is, yeah. the staccato, I don't know that we can replicate it. John Sterling of the Yankees tries. It'll be a 1-1 to Stanton, and the pitch is swung on and hit high in the air to left center. That ball is high, it is far, it is gone, away oh, back in the left center field seats, a Stantonian home run, Giancarlo, no si puo stopalo. Oh, what a shot by Stanton. It's a two-run dinger, and the Yankees no. immediately take a 2-0 lead. It's just not the same. He's trying, though. No, it's not the I, same. I like Jones. <laughs> I love it. All right, we got Monday Night Football coming up here, right here on 750 The Game. I want you to have a great evening. We're back tomorrow with another great radio show. Grab the podcast. Give us a rating. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you think of it. Uh, make sure that uh, you're here tomorrow at 3 o'clock. We got Kyle Whittingham on the show.